This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, difficulty with the relationship, or just suffering from low self-esteem. If so, then BetterHelp wants to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and to help you. You get to talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network, and they give you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just need to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Join the 2 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And there's a special offer to Nowhere to Be Found listeners. You'll get 10% off of your first month, but only if you go through the link or type in betterhelp.com slash ntbf for Nowhere to Be Found. That's better betterhelp.com slash ntbf. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. And you can find the link in our show notes and on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com. Previously on Nowhere to Be Found. We kind of set up camp and then went over and helped them set up the DJ, the stage, uh, light dome. And it was definitely like a mini renegade out there. The goal is to bring Michael home. Harassing people to the point where now they don't want to come forward is working against that goal. People just kind of have tunnel vision at the moment. Right. Considering that they want answers and that they're not getting them. When I started this podcast, I had no idea what it was going to be like to follow a case like this. Getting to know people involved in this tragedy has changed my life. Getting to know Michael's changed my life. It's a really strange thing, getting to know someone you've never met. I've talked to a lot of his friends and family, gone through old photos, listened to music he created, watched videos of him, and now I even made a podcast about him, but we've never met. For me, it feels like we've become good friends. He seems to have a lot of those. I'm your host, Amanda Papineau, and this is Nowhere to be Found. My name's Anna. Um, I'm a close friend of Michael's. Okay, so how did you meet Michael? Um, so I think it was 2015. We actually met at a music festival. Um, we had some mutual friends, and I met him there. And then shortly after, I had moved to Eugene, um, and me and my now boyfriend um, had a house there, and we got really close with Michael, and he spent pretty much every day at our house for, like, the two years that we lived there, and actually lived with us for about six months, too, while we were there. Okay. Um, And we've just been close friends ever since. He's definitely, like, one of my best friends, and... Man, I'm so sorry. I just want to start, like, this is super tough. These are super... Not fun conversations to have with people. So yeah. I'm so, so sorry that we are talking under these circumstances. I really just want to help and hope that, like, just getting this story out there will maybe do something. I don't know. Something. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Definitely yeah. is hard, but I'll do my best to yeah. keep it together. Yeah, and if you need to take a second, take all the time you need. and. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so I guess um, let's start with... Like, how did you find out that Michael went missing? So I was actually just having, like, a casual conversation with one of my friends. I think I, like, responded to one of his Instagram stories, and I think this was about 7 p.m. on, was it the 5th or the 6th at this point? I think it was the 5th, yeah, because he went missing early morning on the 5th. And I just, like, messaged him a joke or something, and then he responded and was like, yeah, by the way, like, Michael's missing. But I think he's okay, because we just didn't really know any details or, like, how long he had been missing at that point or anything. He just said that he was on a camping trip, and he, like, walked off. 
Who, and who told you that? It was my friend Woods, who's oh, okay. also really close with Michael. Okay. Um, and, I mean, at that point, I was obviously worried, but I also just thought there was no way, like, it would turn out like this. I thought he just, you know, wandered off, and they couldn't find him for, like, a couple hours or something, because, I don't know, I guess people can do that. Right, but, right. Um, so then my boyfriend, Cody found out and I asked him if he could remember how he knew that Michael was there with these two girls um like it's a set of twins mm -hmm. and because he knew them from the music industry they used to work at a venue that him and his business partner with their concerts at and so he found out from someone that he Michael was camping with them so he called them at 7 40 p.m and they were both crying and they said that Michael had just walked off from the campsite at, like, I think they said it was, like, 3 a.m., um, and that he didn't have his phone on him. And my boyfriend, from the start, you know, I still was kind of like, you know, like, we'll find him. Like, he's just, he wandered off. He's probably hanging out with another campsite. Like, we'll find yeah, him. right. Um, but my boyfriend just kind of knew something was, like, really off, especially by, like, the girls were like crying and really upset and he's like no this is like serious so I texted my boss and told her I was gonna come into work the next day and we drove um to Eugene at like six or seven in the morning and we like drove out to the campsite and at this point I thought for sure like we were gonna find him that day like I didn't pack a bag or anything because we live up in Portland oh, okay um, <clears throat> so I didn't pack a bag or anything thought for sure you know we'd walk around and find him somewhere either like asleep like but he got drunk and wandered off and he was asleep somewhere hanging out with somehow got home or something sure um, so then when we got there there was um michael's family was there and there was kind of this weird division of like the upper campgrounds because it was two campgrounds or two campsites right across the street from each other and at this point, there was still one of the buses there that Michael allegedly, like, walked off of. Okay. Um, and that, Michael's... Sorry, uh, was that the big one or the little one? The big one. Okay, that's... Okay. And Michael's family was there. And then there was a few people from the campsite, kind of in the lower side, um, that were kind of looking for him. I didn't really... I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was some of them that were. So we, you know, like, talked to them a little bit more about, like, what happened and they just said that Michael looked at them and said, you guys don't want me here, like in the middle of a conversation and walked off the bus and they didn't see which way he went. Um, so at this point, we're like, OK, well, you have his phone, right? Because they had told Cody and they had told a few other of my friends that we have Michael's phone. Like he he's he walked off and we have his phone. And they looked at us and they said, what are you talking about? We don't have his phone. Like, I think Ben has his phone. And Ben is Michael's friend that he drove up with. Right. So okay. we went up to Ben and, like, thinking that maybe we were remembering what they said wrong. And we were like, do you have Michael's phone? And he had no idea what we were talking about. Um, so that was interesting. But the story hmm. had kind of changed from them having his phone to having no idea what we were talking about. Um, so we kind of just like walked around this forest we checked in with michael's aunt she kind of told us where to go and we we actually drove around up into like logging roads and a bunch of michael's friends and family were up there just kind of dispersing without really having like much of an organized plan yet because right. it was just so soon no one really knows what to do in that situation we just wanted to like get out there and look for him as fast as we could um so later that night we went home and we, when I say we, I mean like my group of friends that's really close with Michael. Okay. Um, we, talk, we talked to Parrish and we decided that it'd be a good idea to, you know, get a bunch of flyers printed out and hang them around the surrounding towns in case he had gotten a ride back to town and just wanted space or that like if anyone had seen him. So we went home that night, we got a bunch of flyers printed out. I think the family had flyers printed out too for us. Okay. Um, we had a friend that we had a bunch of people that printed out for, like flyers for free for us too, which is really nice. But we came up with a plan. Um, my friend Nina set up like a projector at my friend Brittany's house with a map of the surrounding towns, like Cottage Grove, Springfield, mm -hmm. um, Eugene, etc. So we made a Facebook group 
for each town, basically, and posted it in the find, the original Find Michael Bryson page and said, hey, we're going to have people, like, of course, still searching the forest, but if anyone wants to, like, volunteer their time to hang up flyers around these towns, message mm-hmm. me or Cody, um, and we will assign you to a city, and we'll have you go from there, basically. So yeah. we had a home base set up in each town where one of our friends had a bunch of flyers and then a big map of the town. So when people would check in at the home base, they would say, okay, I want you to go to like this park, this store, you know, all the gas stations in this area. So it was, it was pretty organized yeah. as far as like making sure like each town was plastered with flyers. Awesome. Okay. Um, and by, I think it was like the third or fourth day, um, I think it was the third. It's hard to remember, honestly, but we kept getting calls because we ended up putting uh, my boyfriend's number on the flyers because Tina and Paris had their numbers on the flyers, but they were at the base camp, so they didn't have service. Okay. So we ended up printing off a bunch of flyers with one of our phone numbers on it so we could, if someone saw him, you know, they could call us and we would have service and be able to get to him. Right. Um, So we got like... I, I mean, so many calls and, like, sightings of him potentially being in Eugene. Really? Um. So we thought, yeah, so we thought, okay, well, we're not getting any other, like, potential sightings of him in any of the other towns. You know, we were walking around Cottage Grove and all the surrounding towns asking people to see him. So they said no. Um, some of the calls were, like, you could tell the people were, like, a little out there and it didn't seem super like validated but then there was people there was like a vendor at the saturday market that said oh for sure i saw him here and there was a there was like a handful of people that you could tell like weren't just trying to fuck with us right and they had no reason to either they're just like no i saw the yeah i saw the poster and like that's the dude i saw earlier for sure yeah exactly so we thought for sure that he was in eugene we kind of thought because there was like drugs at the party maybe Mm -hmm. he like got too high and wandered off and like was in eugene because every everyone that said they saw him said that it's it was definitely him and he was wearing that hat or like wearing this outfit Mm. But he seemed really out of it or like someone was helping him and he seemed like really, really out of it. Like, like he was like high on drugs or something. Wow. Okay. Um, so we ended up, we kind of came up with this theory in our heads that like, okay, Michael got too high on something, walked into town and like, he's in a really dangerous situation that he yeah. wouldn't normally be in if he wasn't like in a normal mental state. Right. He got super um, spun out and now he's in a different, like, that's what Parrish was saying is like, he could be in a totally different state of mind or psychosis like he doesn't even know who he is that's how gone he could be if he messed with the wrong combination of drugs right and um exactly so we we even had actually a security guard at um a mental health facility in eugene like tell us like oh for sure he i saw him he was like behind these dumpsters last night with another guy and it kept being the same story like he had someone with him and he seemed really out of his mind um, so we ended up, my group of friends kind of talked to Paris and Tina, were like, you know, we ha- really believe that he is not in the forest. We believe he's in Eugene because they had a lot of people searching the forest, right. um, the first couple weeks, like a lot of volunteers and old friends and family people and, and random people just helping search the forest. So we're like, we're going to take over Eugene. So me and probably, I think there was like 12 of us. We would walk around town handing out flyers, talking to homeless people. Um, the thing is, most of our sightings were from homeless people. They were like, oh, yeah, for sure, we saw him. But because we had some sightings from people that was, like were a little bit more credible, we kind of went with it. And I think yeah. we were also really hopeful that you know, we were going to be led to him. So and he didn't have anything yeah, else. So might as well. Yeah, we didn't, Exactly. We had nothing else. We didn't yeah. have any of his clothes in the forest. So we were staying up all night going around talking to homeless people trying to like bribe them to like show us places where he could be and oh my gosh so yeah it was insane yeah so there was about four or five days of that and we even at one point had someone call cody and say um they were like we have him Meet us at the Seven Eleven in Springfield. Like I have Michael. Um, I don't like. I think he even said like I don't need reward money or something. So we ran to the car, of course, and yeah. drove to drove to Springfield only for us to find out because um, we called back the number to ask. We're like, okay, he was so excited. We didn't ask which Seven Eleven. We don't know Springfield that well. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, call him back. 
and find out which 7-Eleven, so we make sure we go to the right one. And we called back, and it was just some random person that said some guy walked up to him and asked if he could use his phone. So we drove to 7-Eleven anyways, and the one we thought it was, and waited, and there was, like, obviously no one there. So people were just kind of messing with us, too. That is so messed up. That's insane. Really who who yeah. does that? Who even has time, like, to do that? Yeah, it was crazy. Wow, okay. It's just, like, people are, yeah, it definitely shows people are pretty sick yeah, um, okay so then you have the flyers out people are giving you all kinds of weird claims when they did say like because you said that people were saying that he was with someone else and he was like super out of it but he was with someone else were they able to describe that other person to you ever yeah so one guy at the skate park said that he was with like a girl with dreads like i remember that i mm-hmm. can't remember what the security guard said i think he said like he was with two guys or something mm-hmm. um it definitely differed from person to person like the the story of who he was seen with wasn't always the exact same okay. but we're like okay he's being led around by these sketchy people right he's, like, right not in the right mind and we need to find him yeah so it just seemed really inconsistent all over the map basically for five days yeah so and it's so just it felt like you know, people would be like, oh, yeah, he was just here. And then we'd go everywhere, all over town, or, like, like parked outside of places that he said, like, was said that he was seen. Um, and just, like, basically camped out and were, like, trying to, like, hunt him down, pretty much. Yeah. And, like, nothing came out of it. And then there was actually a photo posted in the Facebook group. Because I think another girl, like, we were getting really discouraged from town. We were like, I don't think... Like, it's Michael. Michael's a pretty, like, average-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Like, in the fact that, like, a lot of people, even a homeless person said this to us, they're like, you know, he looks like about 50 people in Eugene. Like, I could see how people could think we were getting discouraged. We're like, okay, maybe we, he isn't in Eugene and we need to go back out to the forest. His parents were kind of stressing that they needed people out in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I'm sorry, so somebody posted a photo of someone that they were messaged that, they said, yeah, I saw him and, like, sent them a photo because we kept telling people, like, we need a photo. Like, if you mm-hmm. see him, take a photo, take a photo. Like, mm-hmm. we need proof that it's him. Just, like, verification that we can call off the forest search. Right, and not run around uh, like a chicken with their heads cut off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so someone finally got a photo and it wasn't Michael, but it, I could see how it definitely, like, looked like him. Okay. So we're like, okay, I think we've been chasing, like, a doppelganger. Bummer. Yeah, so... Then we basically went back out to the forest and searched every day for the next couple weeks following that um, until the forest search was called off. So you were there for so you, once you went back to Hobo, you stayed up there for weeks for a couple weeks. No, I didn't stay up there. We have oh, friends okay. in Eugene that we were like staying with, but okay. we just go out there during the day. Right. Um, I mean, there was a few days I had to come back for work in Portland, but my boyfriend Cody stayed out there the entire three weeks without coming home. Wow. Um, so Cody and him are extremely close as well, it sounds like. Yeah, no, they're they're super close. They talked on the phone every single day, pretty much. So oh, man. It's been hard, but that is so tough. Okay, so you get back out there to the forest and how is it organized up there? Like is it you know, you guys sound like from the town side of things, you guys had a pretty organized thing where you could say like oh no flyers are already here like you don't need to go there again was it equally as organized when you got back out to camp they did have a big map and they had um michael's cousin travis and his uncle trent kind of manning down the base camp and would send people out um to different areas to go search so they did have people check areas multiple times which i thought was good because there was times where we'd find something that like ended up being nothing but it's like something that should be looked into mm-hmm. in a place where someone like 10 people have already walked through you know so that's crazy. i mean it was organized and people were coming up like from the facebook page people were coming up with drones which was nice so they i mean they obviously didn't find anything from the drones but they had drones they had search and rescue out there who had dogs i honestly was like very i don't really know how search and rescue works but i was kind of pissed off seeing the effort that was going into it on their side um i mean it just seemed like not a lot was happening you'd see people kind of walking up and down the road with like walking sticks and like poking bushes but it was just like i don't know when i was expecting to get out to that campsite and there'd be like helicopters and like yeah like it's time for the big dogs like yeah and it's like they 
I don't know. There was like one dog kind of going up and down. I even heard at one point that the dogs they brought were like in training, which was pretty annoying. We even heard from a local that lived there. They said, you know, I think this was like day two or three and we, they were really nice and let us park in front of their house to use Wi-Fi. But they said they've lived there forever and that if the cops wanted to find someone out there, they'd find them. Um, and that there was like a custody dispute where a guy had taken off with his kid, but wasn't supposed to. And like, ran off into that forest and like they had infrared drones within like a day and like found him so we were just like i actually got into an argument with one of the search and rescues at one point so i was like why are we not doing this right now right um like i i heard from someone that lives here that you guys can like you guys are have the ability and he they just kept saying that like they didn't have the resources so you're like we'll get them <laughs> i know get yeah, the resources so- it was it was pretty frustrating on like the side of like there just being like no police officers and like I don't know it was just it's not what you would expect when someone goes missing it's not like the movie scenes where there's like choppers and like a shit ton of people like rifling through the forest it was like kind of underwhelming I didn't see everyone that came in there so that's just my perspective sure. Tina did mention that she was like overwhelmed by the support of like all these people she never thought would come out that would come out so I'm not like discrediting that no of course but it just it and I'm sure Tina and Paris feel the same way that like it was definitely underwhelming on like the law enforcement side yeah they kind of made a statement that like at some point we realized that like it's up to us this is like up to us at this like we have to find him they're not going to find him for us we have to find him Yeah, I mean, you would think with, like, a search and rescue, they would have some sort of plan to give to families and friends that are, like, going through this or, like, some sort of just could have definitely been more help. I mean, they were, like, swimming up and down the creek, but it's, like, there's also, like, a ton more creeks and rivers and swimming holes in that area that could have been searched that weren't. Right. Okay, so, so you go back up there for the majority or almost all of the remaining days that the family's up there until they call it off? And besides, like, family and friends, were any of the people who were originally camping with him at that party still there with you guys at that point or helping you guys search? So there was. So Ben, the kid that Michael drove up with, he was helping us. He was in the forest most of the days, and he also was helping us search Eugene, and he was a part of all that planning, too. Um, And then... But, like, honestly, no. Like, people from the camp, no. Like, it was maybe, like, the first day they were kind of, like, moseying around or, like, kind of searching. But mm-hmm. also just it seems like more of, like, them just hanging out. A couple of the people from the campsite, like, showed up at, like, home bases to hang mm-hmm. fires. But then just, like, we're talking on the phone super far away from everyone. Kind of, like, just acting really weird and, like, never actually went hung up flyers. Which, I mean, there could have been people there that I don't know that we're searching every day so i don't know but the people i do know and the people i was kind of skeptical about were not so who did you know prior to all of this besides michael who was at that party like who did you know personally so the set of twins i knew i wasn't like i mean i guess i know them personally from concerts but i've never really had like a conversation with them just myself sure um and then Ben, who's my who Michael drove up with, mm-hmm. you'd met him prior. Yeah, and then I think no, Natalie wasn't there. No, and that's all. That's really all I knew. Like honestly, this group of friends that he was with, I was really confused when I showed up and started seeing them. I was like, I've never seen any of these people because there was some people that came back and were like getting on the bus, grabbing stuff. I was like, I've never heard any of these names. I've never seen these people like it just seems like a really random group of people for him to be with in general honestly but yeah and what do you make of that like so because i mean tina told me the exact same thing like this the people who were at this party with him are not his core group of friends like these are new friends um minus ben she mentioned as well that they had possibly met him before or certainly had heard his name before but it was this new group and i'm thinking like how new Yeah, and it was just really frustrating, too, because it was so convenient for them to, you know, like, post on social media, like, Michael's my best friend, and I'm like, okay, Michael's actually my best friend, and I've never heard of you before in my life, like, it was, it was just really frustrating, it's like, also, where are you guys searching, like, and, like, there's times we went by, when we were searching Eugene all day and all night, literally staying up till 6am, and we would 
go by some of their houses and they would just be partying in their front yard. And I'm like, okay, if this was my friend, my my best friend, in their words, that mm-hmm. went missing at a party I was at that I made him come to. Like, I've seen the messages of Michael saying he wanted to go later in the week and then being like, no, you need to come. You need to come. It's like they've convinced him to go. Why? And then they're not out searching day and night for him. Like, it was just it, – it made no sense to me and it really – really made me think that they were being suspicious because I don't know like what good person that cares about someone would put partying before like actually searching for him. Yeah, that makes no sense. It's like such a huge gap that I just do not understand. Like no matter how many times I hear this story from whoever, there's just like this huge section of it that just literally doesn't make any freaking sense. Yeah. A big thing too that they like why we were so skeptical of like the people he was camped with. Cause it, I mean, it didn't just come from anywhere. We're not like you were there. So you gotta be guilty was like, we knew there was drugs there. And like, I've partied at like parties like this before. And their main thing is like, they admitted that there was drugs there. Like they're like, yeah, there was drugs there. But from day one, they were like, there was no acid. There was no acid. There was no acid. There was no acid. And I'm like, okay, that makes no sense. Yeah, and they're all at this like festival in the forest with all these like trippy lights and like, yeah, there's acid there. Like, we know like what kind of people you guys are. Like we've partied with like people like you and like mm-hmm. we know how those situations go. Like there definitely was acid and we know that one of the girls that was there that was also on the bus when they saw him last sells acid yeah so like, I heard okay, that so you sell acid and you're going to go to this party but you're not going to bring any acid to sell when that's your income right that it's makes just, no it sense it didn't make sense and the fact that they were lying about it is what made it so weird we're like okay and that's why we thought he was in eugene so we're like he they probably gave him a shit ton of acid and don't want manslaughter in case he comes up dead right that was kind of our theory you know is that like okay he's spun out on acid and lost his mind and is hanging out with homeless people and another thing i want to add to just about like kind of giving an idea of like the people he was with was that um one of my friends i think it was like two weeks ago like pretty recently got a message on facebook from someone saying that these kids that were there like a group of them are known for it's called puddling people where they basically just spill acid on people without them like knowing or wanting to take acid. And, Hmm. and like, I mean, I don't know like what, how much you know about like acid, but like all you need is like the tiniest little drop of it. And if you just spill it on someone, like you're going to be high for days and potentially lose your mind forever. I had never heard of puddling before I started this investigation. And I'm sure that most of you haven't either. So I'm going to dive into that a little bit deeper. I used a website called Urban Dictionary. A lot of you guys have probably heard of it. Basically, it's a dictionary for slang words. For puddling, this is what Urban Dictionary has. When a large amount of liquid LSD, or acid, is squirted directly into the mouth. This is typically done during shows at music festivals, where exact measurement isn't easy. Buyers will pay to have the drug dropped into their mouth. Sometimes the dealers will give significantly more than one drop. Whether from tripping themselves or just to mess with someone, they'll give the recipient much more than they'd paid for or were expecting to get. Puddling typically involves anywhere from 15 to 30 hits. One to two hits is a normal amount, and frequently results in someone going into what's called ego death a complete separation of the mind from the body. With acid in these amounts, it's also easy for one to slip into a bad trip. Doses in these amounts can have acute effects for up to 24 hours and sometimes residual effects that can last for months. That's known as hallucinogen persisting perception. This message that they had got was basically saying uh, one of her friends went camping with them and they did that to him and he was like i don't know i mean there's been multiple stories but but from her words was that he got puddled like got super high and thought that they were trying to kill him and then they left him out in the middle of the forest and it like their reason for doing it was that he didn't pass their vibe check which is literally the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life and also like so fucked up yeah um 
I've heard for sure that Michael was on ketamine and that he was drinking. And I know like a combination of certain drugs is definitely not what you want to do. So I'm thinking, okay, if they did puddle him and he had already taken a bunch of ketamine and he was drinking, like, sounds like a recipe for disaster. But still, where the heck is he? Like, if he did, if he wandered off and got lost and fell, like, where is he? Exactly. And that kind of, I know one of your questions was like, what do you think happened to Michael? And yeah, and it is speculation. I'm not going to like accuse anyone of anyone or anything, but mm-hmm. like from everything I've gathered, my theory, I have a couple is either like he, I mean, I think a hundred percent, I know that they gave him too much acid. And I think there was either like an altercation between him and someone at camp and something happened, like not in front of everyone. Like, he was, like, murdered, or I think maybe he did walk off and there was some sketchy people down the road that maybe could have done something with them, too. Um, Originally, what I thought, like, why they were lying so much about, like, acid being there was, I thought, I mean, actually, originally, I thought he had wandered off and got lost, like, from the first day, and, like, Mm -hmm. they were just trying to cover their asses because they gave him too much acid in case he, like, like I said, like, wound up dead. They didn't want, like, manslaughter charges. Right. Um, But then I was, like, you know, I think that he they got all really high on acid and he like hit his head on something or like fell you know like they went to a swimming hole we heard um the day before he went missing and i was like maybe you know he was really high and like jumped off a rock hit his head and they did something with his body because they were all so high on acid they didn't know what to do and now they couldn't take it back right um but at this point i'm really leaning more towards like i think they got him really high and he wandered off and something happened to him from someone else. Cause I think these are really shitty people that he was with for the most part, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they're capable of like murder. Right. But yeah. And that's the huge thing is like, you can be a 23 year old kid who just needs to grow up. But I mean, Michael's not a small person. He's six foot 180. Like, are you capable of killing somebody and then, making it go away i don't know like that's a that's a tall task yep i know with no trace i'm just i'm just really hoping someone knows something me too and the guilt gets to them and they just come forward because it's like i mean i think we all know he's gone at this point or most of us believe that there's just not really a scenario where he's like okay um but we just need to know what the fuck happened to him. I think eventually it will come out. I do believe it will. Um, it's just a matter of time. Last episode, I talked about harassment towards the people who were on the list. This week, it's gotten way worse. Michael's army is turning against itself, and it's turning the focus away from finding Michael. Please remember why we're here. Listening to this case on a podcast, or watching it through a Facebook group, I think it can be easy to get disconnected and forget that these are real people. They're not just names on a screen. Many of them are most likely innocent in regards to Michael. I've had several people who were considering coming forward to do an interview, but have changed their mind in recent days due to continued harassment. The irony of that is that most of the people doing the harassment are making statements like... It's unbelievable that you haven't come forward to tell your story. Guilty conscience much? And now we'll never have that piece of the puzzle. We'll catch more flies with honey than vinegar. I guarantee it. My name is Krista Bryson, and I am Michael's older sister. How many years apart are you guys? I believe we are 17 months apart. We're two years in school, but we're pretty close in age. Really close in age. Okay. Um, so let's just go back before all this and everything was crazy. If I had just asked you on August 1st, so what's your brother like? Like, what's his personality like? What would you have said? I would say that Michael is loving and funny. He's empathetic. He's accepting and he's very understanding. Mm, Nice. Yeah, I kind of get that empathetic thing. Like, just looking at his pictures, he just has that. That's why I called my first episode, He Doesn't Know a Stranger. Because I literally heard that so many times, just from, like, different people. And I was like, wow, it's like the theme of Michael. It's like, he doesn't know a stranger. He just relates to everyone. 
It's amazing. Actually, when we were at the campground, my mom and I were joking that, like, everyone was Michael's best friend because they would, like, introduce themselves. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm Michael's best friend. And so, like, <laughs> when it got to, like, the hundredth person, we were like, oh, let me guess. Are you Michael's best friend? <laughs> okay, <laughs> It that's was just, awesome. like, kind of a joke, but also was really cool to see. There was a lot of people that traveled out of state to come help find him and, and search for him. People from Washington and California. People flew in from Vegas. Yeah, it was awesome to see all the people come together. Um, I know you said or your parents said that you're a counselor, but just tell me, like, what kind of counselor and where do you work and mm-hmm. what do you specialize in? Yeah, um, I'm a child and family therapist and I work at Springfield, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, I work in a psychiatric day treatment milieu um, and that's stationed in the elementary school. And I would say I probably specialize in trauma, um, trauma and abuse. Okay. Oh, that sounds, that sounds heavy. Yeah, it is really heavy. Actually, my work has been super understanding and I don't go back to work until next week. So my boss is amazing. She's been um, providing us with gluten-free and dairy-free meals and has been really supportive throughout this whole thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of talked to your um, dad a little bit about like the just community feel around this whole thing. I mean, if there could be a silver lining from something horrific, I feel like the community has been kind of amazing. They've been amazing. Yeah. We have had people like offer to do our yard work, take care of our chickens, feed our dogs, clean our house. Um, People have been like providing us with meals, um, praying for us. I think I had someone that actually babysit my brother and I growing up paid for my car payment in August. And so we've just been overwhelmed by like all of the love and support that our community, not just like Harrisburg Junction City community, but Eugene Springfield Cottage Grove, pretty much the whole state of Oregon. Yeah. Um, Just overwhelmed by everyone's support. I got really emotional, I think the first week because I was like, Michael, like I wish that you could see all of these people. Um, get emotional again it's okay take your time um i was talking to him and i said you know i wish that you could see all these people like you are so loved yeah you are so wanted like we love you like you've like thousands of people hundreds of people that love you and then i thought to myself after i said that to him like holy cow like you can see this yeah Um, so that's been um really hard is like since we haven't found him yet like knowing that he's gone but not being able to like move on and fully like start to grieve and heal because we because we haven't found him but Um, you feel you feel in your heart that he is gone yeah yeah and you know i felt i felt that since august 5th Um, really okay michael and i were really close um as some people might say like I felt like I was tapping into his energy. Um, and we've grown closer the last two to three years, but really like since January, um, he called me often, like anytime he just needed someone to talk to or when he was in crisis or just needed a sister, he would call me. And so the day that we got the call that Michael was missing, like I knew that he was, I just knew that he was gone. And I've felt peace during this whole time, knowing that he struggled so much mentally and emotionally that um, that I feel like he's finally at peace. Like he's not hurting anymore and he's not struggling. Yeah. Um, so that's given me a lot of peace. Um, actually, my birthday is August 1st. It's funny when you said, hey, like, how would you describe Michael if you were to go back to really? August 1st? That's my, that's my birthday. Oh my I was gosh. in Seattle on my birthday this year and I was very sick, uh, that weekend, like Mm -hmm. super sick, um, headaches, nauseated, lightheaded. And I just like felt like something was wrong, but I couldn't pinpoint what was going on. Um, and I reached out to my friend, my best friend, and I said, Hey, like something is seriously wrong. I don't know if it's a friend. I don't know if it's a family member. And this was on eight, four. Um, it was the night before I couldn't sleep. I tossed and turned all night for about eight or nine hours. And I said, something's wrong. Um, and then I went to work that day on the 5th and um, got, actually got a haircut and then uh, came home and, and ate dinner and started watching Netflix. And my mom came home and she said, hey, like, Michael's missing. 
And so we all jumped in the car and drove to Cottage Grove as fast as we could, which is about an hour and a half from Junction City. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the way, you know, calling hospitals and mm-hmm. jails and contact contacting authorities. And um, But as soon as we got to the hobo campground and I put my foot on the ground, like I knew Michael was gone because I couldn't feel his energy or his presence anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, you know... Um, that I feel like that has been the hardest, most difficult thing for me during this process is, is feeling like I was like a hundred steps ahead of my parents and my family and his friends and my friends and like, just feeling like I just knew, mm-hmm. um, but also wanting to have hope that he's still alive. You know, I continued to search and, right, of course. Um, but in my heart, like I just, I just knew he was gone. I couldn't feel him anymore. Wow. in my body. Um, I feel like some people, you know, are angry at Michael for choosing drugs or angry at Michael for going camping or angry with Michael for what happened, but mm. I'm not. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's because I do understand the mental health piece and where he was at and, and kind of what was going on. It just makes me, ma- makes me feel more understanding about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. And not angry. In fact, I keep waiting like to feel angry, but I'm not like, I'm not angry with him. Like it makes sense to why he went out there. Right. Um, it just, it just makes sense to me. I think that's like a kind of a testament to your connection. It's a uh, anger is like a one of those impulse emotions it's like you if you can't process something your brain uses anger to kind of hide that from you and Mm -hmm. I think that you it seems to me like you kind of skipped right past that and got to like that deep understanding like I'm not mad I'm sad I'm I'm sure but I also I get it yeah, I I would say like, you know, and, and, and feeling angry is totally okay. I do want sure. to say that. Like oh, yeah. feeling angry is part of the process, it's part of one of the grieving steps. Like people feel angry and then they they go into denial and they start to finally accept what's going on and then they go into, you know, the depression stage and mm-hmm. they go back into the acceptance and they don't go in a row. You can experience them. You can accept it and then four years later down the road start to in denial again right um so i i get it but just me personally like i keep waiting to be angry and i'm not i'm just filled with really deep sadness i'm very very sad yeah and i miss him and i love him and yeah i wish i could see him (laughs) i wish you could too i'm amazed at your family and your ability to love through this like this is extremely inspiring i think you guys are amazing people. It tells me that Michael is an amazing person to have you guys, um, you know, the support system that you guys have built in, in your whole community and your family and your friends. Like, I just know that he was the same. I can just, I can just feel it. He absolutely was. He's so loving. And like, in fact, he, like, he would get upset when people like were close-minded and (laughs) arrogant and stuck in their ways because he was, he like he just cared so much about love and acceptance and like wanted everyone like in the whole entire world to feel loved and accepted Mm -hmm. no matter what their values were, no matter what they did. Like, like he always forgave people and like moved forward and like just really truly lived life. Um, 100% lived life. It was cool. Um, while we were up there searching, I just had like, person after person after person like come and talk to me about Michael and like how he was such a good listener and he wanted everyone to feel loved and heard and accepted and so after he went missing like it was literally testimony after testimony like your brother helped me get out of an abusive relationship your brother helped me realize my worth or your brother encouraged me to get out of my comfort zone and talk to people again and trust people like I used to be an extreme introvert and like didn't want to leave my house and you know, and now I'm out here searching for him with hundreds of people. And yeah. so it was just like story after story. And <laughs> like, I kind of laughed and I'm like, holy cow, like, I didn't even realize but like, my brother was a therapist also, like, yeah. he didn't have the training, but like, came by it naturally, like he was a counselor, like he wasn't just a cook or a bartender, or not just a bartender, like he wasn't a cook and a bartender, mm-hmm. like he was a counselor. Mm-hmm. And he was a safe place 
for so many people to come to. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy that it took me losing him to be able to see that because he very much kept his family separate from his friends. Like those two worlds he kept separate. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's sad because I'm like, man, like he has such awesome people that he surrounded himself with. Like, I feel like I've gained a lot of like siblings and brothers and sisters and friends and they're just really good people like his friends are just solid good people and um but I also understand you know why he did keep those things separate and when I've been hanging out with his friends I'm like I wish Mikey was here like you know I wish he was was here with us you know laughing and having a beer and playing board games and just enjoying like each other's company and I'm sad that he's not but I'm like so glad that like I met you and that you're in my life now right and And it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been necessarily (laughs) yeah I wrote that in my journal like this would have never happened like let's be real Michael this would have never happened yeah (laughs) I think like on August 15th, like 10 days after Michael went missing, we were searching. We had a um, fire for him up there at the campground and invited like his close friends and some of our family. And we talked about Michael. And we like sang his favorite songs and like danced to his favorite songs and like shared pictures and memories and just like celebrated Michael. Wow. Um, and it was really cool. Like, uh, that would probably kill me for saying this, but <laughs> he was dancing on a picnic table to party in the USA virus. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, like Michael would be killing you right now. Oh and he my saw gosh. that you dancing and singing to this song in front of all of his friends. Like, but it was just amazing that like those two communities are like those two worlds and like you know, there are a lot of differences, but there's also a lot of like similarities. Yes. And it was really cool to see everybody like come together. And so, like we've said before, like, I really, truly think that, um, you know, I've obviously wish my brother wasn't gone. I wish he was here, but I feel like that's his legacy is number one, bringing people together and from all walks of life, you know, yeah. um, like bringing a Republican together with a liberal and like yeah. singing, and singing together like, yep. or bringing, you know, just those two worlds, like bringing people together and like making people feel loved and like a sense of community, which is what he's been doing. Like since August 5th, like you become really close with everyone who you're searching with like mm-hmm. every day, all day for months. Um, so I feel like that was number one. And number two, like some of his friends, like it has changed their life already in a really positive way of like, you know, people don't want to do drugs anymore or mm-hmm. they're like, holy cow, like this is my wake up call. Yep. Um, and so that's beautiful. I feel like, or just even a reminder, like how, um, you know, time is unpredictable and like Michael truly lived his life. And so like other people are like, man, like I want to live my life. Like Michael lived his life. Wow, that's awesome. I'm definitely watching over people, and like, I still think he's probably playing pranks on people and playing jokes on people. (laughs) I hope so. It's also like going back to the beginning of this is, um, you know, you ask what are some words that describe him. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say playful. Like, he always had that kind of like childlike quality in him and Mm -hmm. his eyes, and he always loved playing like jokes and pranks on people. I think like, um, (laughs) there's like a picture of him and. He's like literally like his ass is like sitting on one of his friends' legs. Like he's such a goofball. Kind of like, hey, I'm getting you back. For one of his other friends' like birthdays this year in June, like he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, man. Like I bought you a nice cake. I bought you a really nice cake. And then like there's a video of him. Um, and at the very end, he just like throws the cake, like just smashes it in his face. And while they're like holding him back. So he's just like, super playful always playing jokes like always laughing and my dad has uh really high energy and so he would just like run up and down the house and like start projects and he'll be outside and back in the house and Michael and I would just sit on the couch literally like get popcorn or snacks or chocolate and we just like watch him and like just like I would look at him and and he would just like know exactly what I was thinking and start like busting up laughing going back to like yes he had an addiction but that doesn't define 
who he is and that doesn't define who anybody is it's a part of him just like it's a part of other people but that's not who he is i agree and so i think it's important for people to focus on that because a lot of times it's like oh like it's just a kid like on another kid on drugs like probably overdosed or like you know it doesn't really matter because you know he chose this path right there's like a lot of people that don't have like empathy and i'm like but he's still a human being and like that's not who he is yeah he was really good about like just sending random like you know i love you sis text or i love you mom or just calling and like he'd be like hey what, what are you doing i'm like oh like just getting off work okay just want to say i love you bye you know like he just called to say i love you like i love that you, you know and and so i miss that and in fact his one of his best friends anna um who's like a sister to him also like she texted me that day she said oh i love you sis and it just like i just lost it and broke mm-hmm. down because that's like those are the messages that i used to get from michael like mm-hmm. i love you sis or love you sis and yeah he's an incredible person yeah that's like his parting gift i guess is like yeah, like he's not going to send those texts, but he just gave you like 30 other people who are. So. Oh my gosh. Like literally I get text messages from his friends and like phone calls like, hey, love you, Krista, or like, love you so much. Or how you holding up today? How are your parents doing? We love you so much. I mean, like, I'm so thankful and I'm so blessed and I'm so, I'm so grateful for like the time that we did have. And Um, I think that who Michael was, like, I want to keep that alive, but like, I think he's always, his like alive presence will always be there. At least I hope so. Michael deserves justice. That's something we can all agree on. How we all choose to seek that justice varies person to person. I want to urge you, especially if you're someone who's contributing to the Facebook group regularly, Do not make villains out of people without solid proof. And if you do have solid proof of someone's guilt, please take it to the authorities and don't post it on Facebook. Alienating anyone from this group is both unfair and counterproductive. I've seen rumors get passed around until it resembles a bad game of telephone. Everyone loves the drama, I think, of having a villain. But it's my job while making this podcast to be unbiased and tell all the sides of the story. Next time on Nowhere to Be Found. My name is Warren Michael. I didn't even realize until the end that there's a Portland group, a Eugene group, and then now a group from Southern Oregon. Two hotheads in that group. She walked into their camper in the, in the hours of the morning naked and started yelling at the woman and my axe had had disappeared had disappeared had disappeared we've been asked how our listeners can contribute to the show so we set up an account with patreon Check out the link in our show notes if you're interested in supporting our cause. You can also find it on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com.